by now you have heard the story of SVB, which is Silicon Valley Bank. Now, you may have never heard of Silicon Valley Bank, and that's okay. I was no expert on Silicon Valley Bank either. I didn't know that it was the preferred bank of groups like Y Combinator, which uh, helps with startups. I didn't know that it was a bank utilized by groups like Etsy and many, many other companies and is responsible not only for payroll of those companies where money is going in and out, but also uh, responsible uh, for how a lot of those merchants get paid. The connections to Silicon Valley Bank are really far and wide-reaching. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. Uh, The other thing I didn't know about Silicon Valley Bank is how big it was. You hear Silicon Valley Bank, you think it's some little local bank, over $200 billion they were dealing with. And then on one day, last Thursday, the shares went down 60%, and on the next day, it was California. And they're uh, watchdogs, if you will decided that, hey, this bank can't actually be a bank, and trading was halted on the exchange. And the next thing you know, you have got industry leader after industry leader saying, if the federal government does not cover the losses of this bank, the results for all of us will be wholly catastrophic. I mean, that's the words they're using. It, if, if you ever want to see people actually in panic, actually in fear, This is what it looks like from every bit of reporting. Dr. Matt Will joins us right now, economist at the University of Indianapolis. And sir, let's take a step back here. Talk to me about what what caused this bank to have this this capital crunch, this cash crunch, and then to have to have its trading halted by the by the exchange. Well, Tony, let me step back and say people have to look at two things. Silver Val- Silicon Valley Bank is one, and another one called Silvergate Capital. These things go hand in hand. Silvergate Capital had a tragic that happened, tragedy that happened recently, and Silicon Valley Bank is the one that happened just now. The cause is very simple. I've been talking about this since last year, Tony. I'm frustrated that, that people aren't listening. The cause is simply government regulation and the attachment to crypto. We're talking about both. But government regulation is the primary problem here, Tony, And because banks have two kinds of risk. There's two kinds of risk. It's very simple. Interest rate risk and credit risk. And we're going to talk about both of those, Tony. People don't realize that's all there is to it. In fact, I could teach an entire course on this. I do teach an entire course on this, but we're going to cover it here just in a few minutes, Tony. And I don't know, you want to start with the interest rate risk or credit risk? It's your call. Oh, dear Lord. Uh, which, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, well, that, that's a different story, but uh, the answer is the chicken. So uh, let's start with the interest rate risk, because, Tony, that's what's happening here. Regulators are idiots. There's this thing called duration. Duration is how – I won't get into the details of it, but it's kind of like how long an, a, a loan lasts, how long a liability lasts. These must match. Your asset duration must match your liability duration. And, Tony, here's what it is in a very simple phrase. Long-term assets of the bank, long-term assets, were making 4% return. Their short-term liabilities, Tony, cost in about 4.5%. Tony, that's against the law. Some regulator wasn't doing their job. You can't have a long-term investment making 4%, and you're paying for it with a short-term 4.5%. That's not possible, Tony. You're losing half a percent. 
And when interest rates go up in the short term, which they've been doing, that makes the loss even worse. And they're not allowed to do it, Tony. Regulators are supposed to catch this. They're supposed to catch interest rate risk daily. It's monitored daily. It's reported to the government daily. And someone was asleep at the switch. And I don't think it's an isolated case, Tony. I think it's systemic. And that's what has people uh, very, very afraid. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. So which part was that one? You, you had said two things. I want to make sure everybody is clear on which part that was. That's the interest rate risk, Tony. Okay. When you're making 4% on your investments and you're paying 45 that's interest rate risk. Well, and now the risk, other side of this, the, the well. egg part, was? The credit risk, Tony. People have to pay back their loans. So when you go to uh, Silicon Valley Bank and you borrow money, you have to put up collateral. You have to put up real assets. This company called Silvergate Capital, they were also having to put up assets when you borrow money. Tony, you and I go into a, to borrow money. We have to have collateral. If you don't pay back your car loan, they take your car. Right. That's a real asset. Banks have been loaning money on crypto. Tony, borrowers own crypto. This is not an asset. It's, it's, it's something that's like, for example, there's this company called uh, Circle USD Coin. It's a stable coin. It's worth 87 cents on the dollar. That's collateral, Tony. So can I use the analogy of gambling? Because that's what it is. Now, sure. don't get me wrong. I'm not against crypto. Crypto is gambling. People can do it. No problem. But it shouldn't be in banks. And banks should, accept it as, should not accept it as collateral. So picture this, Tony. What if you go into a bank and you say, I want a loan. And they say, well, we need some collateral. What assets do you have? And you say, you know what? I made a, I made a bet on FanDuel for next week's football game. Will you take my bet slip as collateral? <laughs> Tony, that's what these banks are doing. So and now I know it sounds funny, Tony, but that's actually what they did. And that bank slip can go, you know, th- that bet slip, you bet 200 bucks, it can go up to 400 or down to zero. The difference is with crypto, it can double or it could go to zero too, but it's going to take longer period of time. It's the same thing. So now you've got this investment side and you have this, 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 this credit side, right? You have, you have the issue they had with their investments and the issue you had with the collateral they took. Let's go back to this investment side because this gets very, very confusing. The bank holds the money. The bank is making interest on the money. Money is coming in, coming out based on the company. What investments are you referring to that the bank was making that didn't allow them to make money on the money they were taking in and had to pay out more? The investment of a bank is a loan. That's how they make their money. They, make, they give you a loan. They make money off that loan. But where do they get their money to loan to you? They get that from depositors. And right now, their investments, which are loans to you. I know it sounds confusing, Tony. My students don't even understand this sometimes because we use the words that are confusing. An investment to a bank is a loan. That's how they make their money. That's their assets is loaning you money to buy your house, and they think you're going to pay them back. But, Tony, where do they get that money from? Depositors. Depositors can pull their money in a second. You can walk into that bank and take your money out of the bank. Tony, that's what's happening to Silicon Valley Bank. So now they've got this loan. I'm, I'm going to jump in because okay. I want to I follow this my way. One of the things that I had been reading in, in the reporting was that one of the things Silicon Valley was doing, it was about the buying of bonds. And the bonds, they weren't paying back at the rate they needed to. Is that part of the conversation you're having here? 
It is. That's a separate part of it, though, Tony. And that is that the banks have assets on their – they own bonds on their balance sheet. These are the things that make them look healthy is they own all these bonds, government bonds, treasury bonds. They own these bonds. They own other bonds. And so when someone walks into the bank and says, I want my cash, they say, oh, well, we'll give you your cash. Here you go. But what if they don't have enough cash, Tony? What if they don't have cash? They have to sell their assets. They can either sell one of those loans they made or they can sell a treasury bond. You know that free money the government's been giving them, Tony? Mm-hmm. They have to sell it. And guess what? Those prices are down right now. And the government hasn't required them to decrease the value on their balance sheet. Does that make sense? It, 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 it sounds horrifically convoluted they have these bonds they can sell them if they need to get money back to one of their depositors but the bond isn't worth what it was because interest rates have gone up yes tony what probably doesn't sound convoluted you said it perfectly maybe you should be well i didn't know how i i don't know how i got it perfectly but go through that again so tony when people walk into the bank because they're nervous that the bank is going to fail and they say, I want my cash, the bank has some cash sitting around and they'll give them some cash. But if they run out of cash, they've got to sell one of their assets. Tony, they have two basic assets, loans that they've made to various people, and they have treasuries sitting there, treasury bills, treasury bonds that they bought that the government sold them all this easy money over the last few years. They had to sell those at a loss, Tony, because rates have gone up. And the way it works mathematically is when rates go up, bond values go down. So the rates are down, bond values go up. The rates go up, bond values go down. The bond that they bought when the rates were 3% are, is now worth much less now that the rates are at 5 6 and 7%, and they weren't able to catch up with the needs of their depositors. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, you talk about the regulators not catching this. How did the depositors at the bank catch this? Because I have a bank, you have a bank, everybody has, has a bank. And now they're asking themselves, what the hell's wrong with my bank? Is my bank about to fold? Do I have to go get my money out on Monday, you know, uh, or, or, or today or tomorrow, whenever it is? How, how is it that people notice this bank doesn't have my money? Well, Tony, they found out it by word of mouth. It started back Tuesday and Wednesday. I know people who are in the finance industry who saw that this bank was not doing things properly and the government wasn't regulating them properly. People saw this last week, and there's a massive short sale on the bank. So the sophisticated people knew what was coming. Tony. So the short sale comes from the, the market. Why- I know I'm interrupting, but yes. I want to make sure we're bit by bit. The short sale came from the market because it's a public company, and people saw this and said, I don't want any part of this at all. And that's when you started seeing the stock slide, and it slid 60% on Thursday before it was shut down on Friday. Yes, you, you said it, that is correct, Tony. So the, the sophisticated investor saw it first, but the, the, the Main Street person who's banking with them they didn't see it till later because they didn't understand the complications and the problems with this company's balance sheet that the regulators didn't monitor and the regulators didn't see it earlier, but people on Wall Street saw it. Okay. So now we get to how it is that the regulator or the regulators 
didn't see the problem because if you were to look at this politically, I already have every uh, progressive Yahoo in America screaming this is because uh, Trump uh, deregulated the banks and and you got rid of Dodd-Frank and things like that. Does this have anything to do with Trump? And what is it that the regulators missed and how does that happen? Tony, it is the opposite. It's the regulators who caused the problem. And I'll give you a simple example. Um, the number one thing that regulators monitor is this thing called duration, which, again, I said at the beginning, that's where you match your assets with your liabilities. They shouldn't match. Okay. I can give you story after story, personal, firsthand experience of regulators who walk into the bank and say, what's duration? And the banker has to explain it to them, even though it's their number one measurement of risk, Tony. It's the number one way that the regulators measure risk and the regulators don't even know what it is. Now, I'm not talking Jerome Powell and Janet Yellen. I'm talking a person who walks in and knocks on the door of the bank. I have firsthand personal experience of this. And the reason is simple, Tony. I teach these people. I taught them now. I taught them when I was at Johns Hopkins University. The worst of my students become regulators in the banking industry, Tony. The worst. The best ones are going to work for the banks and for the investment banks and for Wall Street. So you have my worst students going in, not even knowing the definition on a test, and they're regulating the bank. Tony, the people at regulating these banks are the incompetent people. They're not the talented people. And I know they're going to call me and yell at me and send me nasty grams, and I'll give them proof. So, yeah, it was uh, Dr. Will not pulling any punches. I mean, I mean, just wasn't pulling any punches at all in this conversation. Now, this was actually a much longer interview. Two parts if you will, I'm going to share the whole thing with you. Coming up in a little bit, but one of the things we're going to get into in that part two conversation is this idea of bailout, because that's a big part of this conversation. The government's stepping in, depositors with funds at Silicon Valley Bank will be able to access their money as of today. And there are definitely some depositors who should, but if you were somebody engaging in large-scale investment in the bank and you weren't actually engaged in the due diligence of the bank, why am I paying for you? Why are you paying for them? Because you're a moron. There's a difference between the person who was just utilizing the bank for their daily business and the person who was putting and parking all of their money there. There, there's a, there is a difference in the two things, and we get into that, do Dr. Matt Will and I, economist at the University of Indianapolis. That is all coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today.